Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH. We are streaming live on the KTTH smartphone app. When you call 911, you might start getting a social worker responding. It's coming soon to a city near you. But the first city it's starting in, well, that's what's trending. What's trending? The mayor's office. Seattle is getting the... 911 call center staffed with behavioral health experts, according to the Seattle mayor, an announcement that came out today that he has officially created this third public safety department. It's called CARE, Civilian Assisted Response and Engagement Department, because God forbid we just have the name of something that doesn't have to make an acronym into a word, a word that is just very on the nose. We care. Yeah, we got it. You're going to have behavioral health experts, emergency dispatchers, and other specialists beyond the traditional first responders. It's interesting because you don't have enough police officers, nor do you have enough Seattle Fire Department officials, EMT firefighters, who are able to respond. But suddenly we think you're going to be able to hire these other folks. Here is the mayor earlier today at the press conference. So this will provide our city with a new crisis response alternative to non-violent, non-medical emergency calls, better helping to address the underlying health issues and better helping our neighbors in the moment of need. So non-medical and they'll respond to medical. So it isn't non-medical call. They will respond to medical calls or they won't. Now, of course, I'm assuming he means someone who's shot or someone who's having a heart attack, we're not going to send the behavioral health specialist. But this idea that we're not sending them to medical... Behavioral health is part of the medical system, and people who are experiencing some kind of crisis are going through a mental health issue, but fine, we get it. But did you hear the way that he framed it all right at the end? Just listen to the end again. The underlying health issues... The underlying health issues. That's what this is about. Someone is having some sort of, again, let's just say a mental health issue. Someone who is naked, running around in the street, spitting at people and yelling at the top of his lungs. Okay. That doesn't at all address the underlying health issue. Sending some social worker his way. That is reactive. That is a reactive move. You are reacting to an emergency because you did not address the underlying health issue to begin with. Being proactive, having your care people going around, making connections, and then getting people into treatment, getting people into whatever service they actually need. That is dealing with the underlying cause. If I call 911 for an emergency, it means you didn't do anything to prevent the emergency from happening. Now, can there be value to this in certain circumstances? Sure. Okay. You are still going to end up hurting and or killing a social worker here. And the second that happens, Bruce Harrell will take no responsibility The Seattle City Council members who have been advocating for social workers responding to 911 calls will take no responsibility. You will just have someone who was seriously hurt or someone who was killed. I remember 
the social worker who was murdered by someone who was going through a mental health breakdown in downtown Seattle around the time of the police defunding argument. I remember that story. I reported it live. I think I might have even broken that story. The fact of the matter is, you taking away police officers because you don't like cops and you want to pretend that somehow they're the danger here is ludicrous. We told you the story of the individual who was, in fact, naked, who was running around in, where was it? Uh, uh, Maybe Kirkland. And what ended up happening was deputy stops by. Deputy sees, deputy engages, deputy tries to de-escalate, deputy ends up getting shot to death. Because the naked guy who didn't have a weapon, who otherwise sounds like the perfect kind of candidate that we would send some social worker to, overpowered the cop, ended up getting his gun, shooting him, what was it, 11 times? Standing over him, shooting him 11 times. That deputy was killed. And that's what we're sending these social workers do. It doesn't make sense, does it? But don't worry. He thinks the system will be able to help the community. We're working with our police and fire departments, the care department will deliver on Seattle's longstanding need for a public safety system with a diverse emergency response option designed to meet community needs. And at the end of the day, we want our city and everyone here to know that we care. Oh, you do. Oh. It's all about the care. Oh, I get why you did care. It's such a cute acronym. You care. It's so that you can say, hey, at least we care when we tell you, why isn't this working? Well, you know, we care. We sent our Care Bear team out there. They're doing their best to try to help. Look, I've endorsed the idea that is being used right now in Snohomish County and Pierce County. If wherever it is you live, be it a city or county, adopts the model of sending an officer with a social worker embedded with them to certain calls that obviously make sense for that, your community is better off because of it. And thank you. A text messenger said Newcastle, not Kirkland. Newcastle is where the deputy, Deputy Herzog, was murdered. You cannot take policing out of this. They're the ones who are trained. They're the ones who are armed when a threat exists. And simply having wishful thinking that this is going to work is irresponsible. And it's based in a position that does not trust police officers. You can argue that officers don't belong at every single scene. I I agree with that. I don't want to take that risk, though, that we're sending someone to get hurt or die. You send them with a cop. And if together they don't think the officer should be front and center, then they can have that conversation in that moment. But the cop will be nearby just in case. That's the best way to approach this. But all that this sounds like is the next money pit, a failure that we're going to put people out on the streets with, and I just don't see this ending well. So to do this, I am proposing, as you will see, a 30% increase in CARES budget in 2024. Next week, my budget proposal will include $26.5 million for the CARE department as it expands responsibilities from its 
current, current functions as the CSCC, the Community Safety and Communication Center. You just like acronyms. You just like new departments. You just like waving new toys in front of people. But there still isn't really even a plan. I like this part coming to us from, I think it was Como. Harrell added that his administration would share a comprehensive white paper with the Seattle City Council envisioning what the new third public safety department could look like. Could look like or will look like. Could look like. This is again. We're coming up with a plan for a plan for a plan of a white paper that will explain what it is we want to do here. So the only glass half full approach to looking at this, at least, is to say they're not even close to implementing. They might end up rushing something because I think they feel like they have to. But I guess that's one positive way to look at this story. Just going to Snohomish County with Adam Fortney or in Pierce County with... Sheriff Ed Troyer, and you'll see precisely what actually works. Have you ever heard any horror stories about their embedded program of social workers and deputies in Snohomish or Pierce counties? You ever heard any stories about them getting beat up or stabbed? Exactly. You haven't because it actually works there. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Crime. Hours after a vape shop in West Seattle had its seventh burglary this month. They decided to install something called bollards or those metal poles, the orange vertical poles. They were installed in hopes of deterring the criminals from constantly driving stolen vehicles into their storefronts. In this case, we had it the last time it happened there at this particular shop in West Seattle, smoke shop. This morning at 2.15, we talked about it yesterday because there was one that happened yesterday at about 3.30, but it happened again today. 2.30 a.m., a Hyundai sedan, stolen of course, backed into the bollards, wasn't successful this time around. So I imagine this business owner is saying, you know what, this was a good investment. We had to lose out presumably on a parking spot, but you know what, this is good for us. We spent a little bit of money here so that we didn't have to spend a lot of money there when the storefront is broken. We live in an area that now requires businesses to put up bollards to stop stolen vehicles from being driven into the storefronts by crooks who are emboldened by Democrat policies. That is the sad reality in which we live. And it is an issue that hits every single community here in Washington state. If you're listening to me in Washington state, you are in a city and in a county where this is a huge problem already and one that will continue to get worse until we reverse laws like a ban on vehicular pursuits, until we reverse policies like, oh, I don't know, prosecutors saying they're not going to put bad guys in jail. Until you do that, it's going to continue, and it's going to create more and more and more victims. The worst kinds of crimes are the ones that happen to the people who just don't deserve it, who have already gone through enough. And you're there at eight times. You've already gone through enough. We had another story. Our friend Sam Campbell from our sister station, Cairo News Radio, broke this morning of thieves breaking into the Rainier Driving School. This is the second time in the last few months that this has happened. In this case, they ended up stealing a small amount of cash from the till, 
only to realize yet again the damage that was done is going to be more expensive than the amount of money that was stolen. Now, one of their employees there, Anastasia Bidon, she immigrated to the U.S. from the Ukraine. And she, I guess, is maybe not used to the lack of police response. It's been very, very shocking and disheartening to find out that we're not really safe here. We're not really protected. No, you're not. She said she wasn't getting a response from cops. They say, look, we got suspects on camera. But nothing. Yeah, well, guess what? You're in King County. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? You can't make this up. The Associated Press is saying parents who have kids who are Fortnite junkies, they're on that stupid video game, a game I don't I do not understand. I've seen it being played, I've seen clips. It looks like a child drew the graphics. I I don't understand this game and it's making me feel old. But there are a bunch of kids who bought virtual gear without the knowledge of their parents. And now the parents could soon get a refund because U.S. regulators said 37 million people might be eligible for compensation as part of a legal settlement from Epic Games, which created Fortnite. The FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, they said that there would be $520 million in penalties and refunds to settle complaints around children's privacy and how the methods it used essentially tricked players into making unintended purchases. They ended up buying things via what they call V-Bucks, which is the currency they use in this stupid game for nerds. Let's be honest, only nerds play it. And weirdly, soccer players, I notice, play this a lot too. And they would buy things like outfits or cartoonish purple llama loot crates, according to the AP, who just copied and pasted that that from something. There's no way the the, the writer knew what the heck that was. So they basically said a bunch of kids ended up spending excessive amounts of money, including in one case, one of the kids spent $6,000 Another one, 600, and didn't realize that that was happening. And so the parents were like, why is there a $6,000 bill on this thing? Are you looking up OnlyFans again, my son? And then it was like, no, it's not. I was working on Fortnite. I'm too nerdy to use OnlyFans. And then they ended up suing. Yeah, I'm sure the kids did it on accident. No, you know what? I've seen how some of this works. It is confusing. Six grand. Six grand if you don't realize you're being charged? I guess. If you're some if you're a 12-year-old kid playing Fortnite and you're not connecting the dots, I'm just saying. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Let's get political. As we told you this week, there is a move to make a particular legislative district, 15th legislative district, a super majority Latino district. Democrats believe that this is going to help them. A judge got involved, said a legislative map that was drawn by the commission earlier in the year and really starting last year was not right. It was a violation of the rights of Latino voters. It's a bit of an odd decision in my book. It feels like anyone should be able to be represented by anyone else, regardless of the demographic makeups of a particular district. But this obviously benefits the Democrats, or at least that's what they think. In fact, now they're getting in the way of getting a a more 
let's just say, open and honest and transparent legislative district. Deanna Martinez is the chair of the Washington Mainstream Republicans, and she joins me to discuss. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Now, there could be another commission, a redistricting commission that we've had in place before. It's bipartisan. They could choose Mm -hmm. to address this issue again to help, you know, mitigate some of the concerns of this judge. Why do you think they're choosing not to? Because uh, you said it, it's a bipartisan commission. So uh, apparently they didn't like uh, the last commission and how they worked that um, district to actually be, uh, you know, over 51 percent Latino uh, voters. And yet they didn't like the outcome because they didn't get a Democrat to win. So um, that's why I believe they're they're. Um, skirting the commission and just going to let the the courts decide, which I think is not, um, it, it doesn't allow the voice of that, of the district to really uh, have any say in what transpires for themselves. Yeah. And I mean, the whole idea that they pushed through and, and the judge bought into was that Based on the demographics of this newly drawn district per the commission, that it would not allow Hispanic voters to vote for Hispanic candidates, which, number one, is just factually inaccurate. And number two, just an absurd argument on its face. Right. No, uh, totally correct. I mean, I'm sure they've noticed that Nikki is a Hispanic, right? Yeah, and you're talking about uh, uh, Nikki Torres of Senator, Pasco. Sorry, yeah. Senator Torres out of Pasco. Yeah, uh, Hispanic, uh, well-engaged uh, uh, woman uh, in her district. She's done a lot of good things already in her freshman year, um, but the she's not a Democrat, and that's that's what the whole issue is here. The Democrats want to try and pick up some more seats in uh, in an area. It, uh, we're rural Washington. If you look at how who gets elected in this in our areas, it's primarily Republicans. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, um, that just isn't good enough for the Democratic majority. Well, they we know we know own. why, <laughs> right? I mean, right. <laughs> they, they obviously don't want to see any Republicans elected, and so if they're able to use the social justice or equity argument behind getting a new district drawn, which would mean one more Democrat seat that at least that they think will be a Democrat seat that keeps Republicans out of the majority. Of course, they're going to take it. Are, are you shocked that a judge has gone along with this? Yeah, actually, I, I am. I mean, he kind of allowed that, uh, you know, for the um, the commission to to step in and take care of this. But I mean, we all know who's unfortunately running the show right now and that's the democrat majority so they're the ones that get to decide ultimately whether or not to reconvene the commission or choose a new new one i think is what might have to happen but um we know what the answer was immediately before so um yeah i feel uh, you know it it's extremely disappointing that this group of political activists that really think that something needs to be done here. They have an opportunity. They have Senator Nikki Torres, who is Hispanic. 
She's working really hard to be um, as bipartisan as possible. Um, uh, there are some issues that uh, she's not going to, um, you know, uh, back down on. And so I, I'm just wondering, um, I guess out loud, have they even bothered to talk to Senator Torres? You know, did they come to her once she got elected um, to say, hey, these are some things we kind of want to work on? Um, well, why just, would they? She's not the right kind of Latina, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that just right. generally how they view any minority group? You know, they talk all about how we, we support the BIPOC community, but they don't actually. They support people who happen to believe precisely what they believe and if they don't regardless of their identity be it racial or gender they will dismiss those folks as sellouts right yeah so there's a total uh, block of uh, a blockage of communication they just um they just want to complain and then uh change rules or fix things so they get their way yeah. Um, but there's a lot of us um, that don't feel they have the right to do it and don't feel that it, they really are um, looking out for the Yakima community because it's not just Hispanics that live in the Yakima community. I mean, granted, it's a pretty large uh, Latino, Hispanic, whichever term you want to use, yeah. um, population, but there's non-Hispanics there, too. Uh, you know, where they get a voice in how they vote. But now there's another group that says, nope, you know, you're yeah, you're not obsession. as important. Yeah, more obsession over <laughs> certain kinds of identities, just so long as it benefits the Democrat Party. I'm glad you're calling attention to this, and, and I hmm. hope we end up getting a better Results. I'm not going to hold my breath on that, but I, I am glad that the Washington right. mainstream Republicans, they're actually, you guys are actually doing something about it. WashingtonMainstream.org, if you want to learn more about this really great local organization. Deanna Martinez is their chair. Thank you so much for stopping by. Sure. Thanks, Jason. Absolutely. You're listening to The Jason Rant Show. Don't forget our friend, our local tax expert, Greg Nunn of Numbetter Tax Resolution, is growing and he's looking to hire some tax specialists. If you're passionate about fighting for taxpayers, you're interested in a very fulfilling job, give Greg Nunn a call at 425-947-1967 or Google N-U-N-N, None Better Tax Resolution. Coming up next, Big Local. Sammamish, Kent, Olympia, Everett. This is the Big Local on the Jason Ranch Show. Centralia, Lakewood. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that, 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for the Big Local, brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. They are online at alpineclean.com. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore stories coming out of Seattle and instead focus all of our attention on the communities you live in and care about most. We start in federal way after Tyler Lawler is accused of stabbing a former teacher of his at Holy Innocence in federal way. He's been charged with first degree assault. Now, when I say a former teacher, you might think to yourself, oh, that means he's what, 19? Recent grad? No, 32 years old. 
According to the court documents, a witness was speaking with the victim in a room when the suspect walked up the stairs, saw Laurel, a Lawler apparently looking, quote-unquote, furious with, quote-unquote, wide eyes. King 5, using the court documents, is reporting that he walked up to the victim, the teacher, and appeared to start wrestling with him. The witness said that Lawler was swinging his arms repeatedly and then the witness was all like, whoa, 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 he's got a knife. The witness and another man pulled Lawler off the victim, after which he ended up running away. Now, he ends up getting caught, thankfully. But the teacher had injuries between his right eye and ear and on his left forearm requiring a total of 13 stitches. The victim told police he believed that Lawler was, quote, trying to kill him. And at some point, he said, over the course of the last few weeks, he had been making some types of threats towards him. Now, in a case like this, it's one of two things. Either this is a deep grudge against the teacher for whatever reason, or something recently happened that we just don't know about. Some sort of interaction that pushed Lawler into allegedly committing this kind of act. Now, obviously, it's not justified, but if that is the case, I am kind of curious. I don't know, unless there's deep mental illness, which might very well be the case. Obviously, I don't know. But it doesn't seem like you would get someone at 32 going to your old teacher because of the grudge. That is a little bizarre. I mean, what, graduated school, like, what, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, probably? Like, what could it... Now, again, mental illness could be in play. Maybe there is, like, a legitimate reason to him to hold on to a grudge that long. Again, I I have no idea. Not that it would justify this kind of action, but, you know, my mind goes to different places trying to at least understand why someone would allegedly act out in this crazy kind of way. And I suppose I can think I'm not going to say it on air because that would be mean to the because I don't again, I don't know. I have no clue. But I mean, I guess I could I could understand certain incidents that could have occurred that might get someone to hold that kind of grudge for that long. And I say this as someone who holds grudges for a very, very long time. I can't think of seven that have been like 15 plus years. I can think of six. No, I can think of seven now. I can't think of eight. Are any of them? with your old teachers no i think i don't think i had a bad relationship with it i didn't like all my teachers yeah but i didn't have a bad relationship I, with them i can't remember ever truly despising any teachers yeah well you went to a college that you know well college you're high saying, school whatever yeah, but it, you were never paying attention attention that's why you're my producer i mean that's fair i mean right i mean let's just be upfront <laughs> about that you didn't show up to class I showed up sometimes. Yeah. Uh huh. The father of a two-year-old, this poor two-year-old, Nanette Hodge, died of a fentanyl overdose. The dad pleaded not guilty to first-degree manslaughter charges in connection with her death. A judge ordered Evan Hodge, he's 33 years old, to be held on a million dollars bail which still doesn't seem enough. The only thing that can make this right is to bring my baby back, but that can't happen. Now that's Lillian, this poor girl's mother, speaking with Carol7TV. 
and she obviously is in shock. She can't believe that something like this would happen to her. And she, you know, probably just found these little pills and thought it was candy and thought she was being sneaky, taking candy from her daddy. And that's one of the themes that I, I, I hope people are picking up on on the show. The randomness of some of what is occurring, whether we're talking about crimes against individuals, whether we're talking about the impacts of drug addiction and the culture of, of drug use that has been accepted and in a lot of ways, a lot of ways forwarded. It, it is random in a lot of cases. It's not just bad guys killing bad guys. It's not just drug addicts killing themselves. There are consequences to accepting any of this. And every day that we don't take these issues seriously, every day that we aren't proactive in trying to attack the crises is another day where another child can end up getting hurt and or killed. They say over at the Pierce County Medical Examiner's Office that the amount of pills in this girl's stomach was among the most she had ever seen in a child. Unbelievable. Now, one city that's taking the crime crisis and the drug crisis seriously is the city of Everett. They've got a mayor who actually backs the police, and she just put out her budget proposal. It includes hiring more cops, nine in total, plus a wellness coordinator. Mayor Cassie Franklin speaking with Fox 13. She said, look, we're not just looking to hire more cops. We're looking to hire the best of the best. It is necessary. We actually have done a study of our police department that identified that we, we do need to hire more officers for a city of this size and a, certainly a city that's growing. She's looking ahead. She's looking at the data. She's looking at what her city is going to be in a few years from now and maybe a decade or two from now. And so she's making the right move. And it's refreshing to hear a mayor who says, yeah, we're going to put more cops on the street, not take away cops and then have social workers respond. Like, it's refreshing to hear that. And, and Cassie Franklin, the mayor of Everett, is not the only one doing this, of course. We have plenty of mayors who I think are doing a really stand-up job. I, I think of Kent. I think of Federal Way. Uh, you know, I think of, of uh, Bellevue. I think of Spokane. They're actually stepping up and trying to do something here, whereas around them, it kind of feels like all the other cities or maybe even the county they're in are just going backward. And it's just, it's a shame. Finally, you have out of the Everett Herald saying the Snohomish County Council postponed their decision to require businesses to accept cash. This is the ordinance brainchild of our friend, Councilmember Nate Nearing, who will be, by the way, at the Freedom Series. We'll get into that in a moment. He'll be a guest on stage. He endorsed this ordinance. He pushed it through, basically saying it's helpful for people who are low income or who don't have access to banks. Uh, I don't know, excuse me, that wasn't actually his position. It was the position that people ad adopted here. He was basically saying, you know, not everyone carries cash. And one of the stories he brought to the show when he was on saying, I had a constituent who sent his kid to the store to buy something. And the kid didn't have a credit card, obviously, because it's a kid. And that just didn't seem right. It didn't seem convenient. Uh, it, and, you know, he has concerns, which I think these concerns are valid, that we're going towards this kind of centralized digital currency. And he doesn't like the idea of that. And, I, and frankly, I don't like the idea of that either. 
What I like less, however, is the government coming in and telling a business how it should operate when it comes to whether or not they accept cash or just credit card, because in many cases, the businesses make that decision because there is a danger in having that much cash on hand. This would require them to accept cash up to $200, which means they're going to have to have cash on hand to hand out as change. Not to mention, obviously, holding on to the cash that ends up coming in when someone's using it as a form of payment. I get that it's legal tender. I I, I totally get that. But businesses have made a decision here because they care about their safety. Do you think a business is saying to itself, the business owner or the staff members are saying, you know what? If we get rid of this cash, we're going to make considerably less money. That sounds like a great deal. No, of course not. They want to do everything they can to ensure that they are making as much profit as humanly possible. So if they're taking on this decision and saying we're not going to take cash, I imagine they understand the risks associated with that and they're weighing them against what's happening because they have cash on hand, the robberies, the break-ins. And the government shouldn't be pushing them into a decision they think is going to harm their customers, their staff, and their business as a whole. And the consumers who say, you know what, this is unfair to me. I I only carry cash. I don't trust the banks or I don't always have a credit card. I don't like the idea of putting anything on a credit card. Like, again, I get that. But here's the deal. You can make the decision to say... I am not going to shop here. And you can let them know, say, hey, I love coming here, but you don't accept cash. That means you're losing my business. And if enough people say that, well, then the business owner will then make a decision. Is it still worth the risk of of getting broken into if they accept cash? I, I just ultimately, I, I believe it should be on them. But the reason why in this case they decided to postpone putting into, into place is they just don't have all the details yet. They want to get a better idea as to how many businesses are going to be impacted and what the effect is going to be. And so kudos for them to all, including Nate Naring, to say, okay, well, let's pause for a second here. I still like the idea, but I want to make sure we're doing this in the right way. Because if they move forward with this ordinance, at least as it's proposed, it would be enforced through a civil action. So if someone denies a cash payment or a cash acceptance of a payment, that customer could file a suit against the business. And I imagine there will be lots of people who are just going to go about looking for an opportunity to do that. Now, I did mention that we've got the KTTH Freedom Series coming up. Nate Naring will be there, as will so many others. It is in the city of Everett. It's at the historic Everett Theater on October 24th. Right now, we have limited VIP tickets available. We're actually almost sold out of the VIP. It's barely been two days and we were already at well past the halfway mark of what we allotted for the vips vip tickets include your choice of seating right now you get early bird seats you get to choose the best seats that you want to sit in you get a free autographed personalized copy of my book what's killing america you get a meet and greet private with me and brian suits and other vips so you get to mingle with the hardcoreest of hardcore fans, or at least the ones who can afford the $75 tickets. And then you get a free beverage pass. Tickets on sale right now for VIPs at KTTH.com. Regular tickets, the general admission tickets. Still, you get to pick your seats. And by the way, you can even order a book. We're going to go on sale next week 
uh, at KTTH.com. So make sure you go check that out. When we come back, you pick the news. Story number one, UN leaders rail against emissions as they do something pretty hypocritical. Or the cost of Seahawks tickets have been really affected by inflation. How much? Ooh. You'll have to pick this story to get the answer. 1-800-465-8770. You pick the topic on The Jason Rand Show. Oh, indeed you do. And you went with a Fox News story. UN leaders rail against emissions. But what are they doing that is showing how hypocritical they are? Fox writes, world leaders descended on New York City in gas-guzzling SUVs this week for the latest round of United Nations climate meetings where they warned of the risks fossil fuels pose to humanity. And they are especially, by the way, gas guzzlers, because I imagine lots of these are reinforced with for just for security purposes, which means they're much heavier, which means it takes a lot more gasoline and horsepower to push those mini tanks through. And because of all the traffic, they probably just they idled for a long time. The U.N. hosted the Sustainable Development Goals Summit on Monday and Tuesday as a midpoint review of its 2030 sustainable agenda. It's weird to have a midpoint review of a 2030 agenda when it's 2023 because that's not midway. But I guess they do once every single year. A meeting, of course, that they could hold on Zoom or Teams or whatever, but decided, man, let's ruin the environment more. They did it to establish... Credible, serious, and new climate action. That's what they said. Our focus here is on climate solutions. And our task is urgent. Humanity has opened the gates of hell, UN General Secretary Antonio Guterres said in his opening remarks. God, humanity has opened the gates of hell? You're so mean. Why are you being so mean to people? God. Horrendous heat is having horrendous effects. You didn't have to use horrendous twice there. God, get a thesaurus. Distraught farmers watching crops carried away by floods, sweltering temperatures, spawning disease. You already talked about the heat. Why didn't you just say horrendous heat is having sweltering effects? That would have been better. And thousands fleeing in fear as historic fires rage. Could have used some of the flooding. (laughs) Just saying. Climate action is dwarfed by the scale of the challenge. Well, then I guess we're screwed. But then he goes on to say the move from fossil fuels to renewables is happening, but we are decades behind. We, may, we must make up time lost to foot dragging. Arm twit. That's ableist foot dragging. That's not because someone has a club foot or something. Yeah, you can't Rude. say that. Arm twisting. That's violent rhetoric. And the naked greed of entrenched interests raking in billions from fossil fuels. Huh. It's weird. Because y'all just drove and a lot of those gas guzzlers. Who's making money off of that? You had Joe Biden who was there who sleepily spoke his way through his speech. You had Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, who said that humanity is failing on its climate policy objectives. And yet Fox News was able to capture a whole lot of image images of leaders, quote, 
who overwhelmingly traveled to the U.N. meetings this week in traditional gas-powered vehicles with internal combustion engines. Leaders like Biden and Guterres have repeatedly advocated for policies to reduce transportation sector emissions and promote EV adoption. Photographs and video from the streets around the U.N.'s headquarters where the summits were hosted show long lines of black SUVs both idly running their engines or moving in motorcades. The U.N., shockingly, did not respond to a request for comment on the carbon footprint of its summits, whether it tracks how many gas-powered vehicles are required for its summits, and if it would consider hosting such events virtually. Why would they? They can't virtue signal well via these Zoom calls. They have to be in person where the cameras are. And, of course, they have to do some of their negotiating behind the scenes on issues to having nothing whatsoever to do with climate change. So take that, hypocrites. Again, this happens all the time. It's the do as I say, not as I do phenomenon. And people still eat it up because I guarantee you there are a whole bunch of people who are now using any one of the speeches about humanity has opened the gates of hell. All to shame people into adopting certain eco-friendly habits, which, by the way, it's not like I'm even against that. What I'm against are the hypocrites. You're not going to hear me come out here and say, stop flying, and then tell you, by the way, I'm flying first class, obviously, to New York next week, because that would make me a hypocrite. We have a weekly video update online at Facebook.com slash Jason Ranch Show about the litter hypocrisy in Washington, brought to you by your local tax expert and advocate, Greg Nunn, and none better tax resolution.